Good morning. My name's Wilson. I'm one of the pastors here at Incarnation. It's great to be with you. If you've got a Bible with you, turn to the Gospel of Matthew. It's the first book of the New Testament. We're going to look at our Gospel reading that Keith just read for us. Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 24. We spent uh, the last several weeks in the middle of this longer conversation that Jesus is having with his 12 disciples right before he sends them out to do the same type of work that he himself has been doing, healing, curing disease, getting rid of demons, forgiving sins, proclaiming the kingdom. Uh, As Keith would say, we're going to rappel into the middle of this conversation uh, this morning. And in this part, in this little piece of the conversation, Jesus is dealing with the command that is most often repeated in the Bible. Does anyone know what it is? You can, you can shout it out. Do not fear. That's right. Do not fear. He mentions fear four times in this short little passage. Okay? Because being a disciple of Jesus means you will come face to face with fear. And here's why. It's because being a disciple of, G- of Jesus is a unique thing. Uh, Being a disciple is not ultimately about accepting a set of religious propositions. It's It's not about following a law that has been set down. It's not a religious technique or a means for getting out of the mess we're in into a better place one day, whether that be heaven or the state of enlightenment or whatever else. Look at verses 24 and 25. A disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. Being a disciple of Jesus means your ultimate goal is becoming like the teacher, like the master of the house, Jesus. So your definition of success as a disciple is all about becoming. It's not always quantifiable. Paul likes to talk about it like this, being in Christ, a fusing together, a union with him that cannot be dissolved. And so our journey is to become more and more like him. And that is where fear comes in. Because the journey that Christ has set down for us to take together is at the same time terrifying and glorious. We are tied to his fate, all of it, death and resurrection. Um, so Keith, Aubrey, and I, and, and my wife Callie, we were at a conference a couple of weeks ago, uh, and the speaker there kept using this image from the stock market, up and to the right, okay? You can imagine the, the graph, right, and the red line basically moving up and to the right. Um, and he said this, we, we relentlessly expect and want our lives to basically be headed up and to the right, you know, we're realistic. We expect bumps, like we expect the line to kind of up, go up and down, but basically it is moving up and to the right. Basically, we expect to be advancing, and we expect to be healthy, living in good rhythms. Come on, fellow millennials. You know we love our rhythms. If anybody gets us out of our rhythm, it's like petting a cat the wrong way. <laughs> if that's not happening, if we're not up and to the right, in other words, if we're down and to the left, then we're bewildered. We have no idea what to do with that. We have no category for that. And yet, Jesus' essential move for the salvation of the world was down and to the left. Philippians 2 says that Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a doulos, 
a slave, all the way to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so in effect, he says to a disciple, if you're bound up with me, why did you expect your life to basically be going up and to the right? We wish it went that direction for our rescue, but it it doesn't go that direction. Jesus intends to take us with him through the harsh road of self-emptying, the death of what Paul calls our old self, all the way through and to the resurrection and the birth of our new self. This is, and this is amazing. Jesus, Jesus took this journey of death and resurrection voluntarily so that he could bring us through it. We never could have done it. We never could have found this road, this journey, by our own strength or by our own insight. He is the way. We, we never could have found it on our own. He's with us, and yet, how fearful that journey still is. The Christian life is no spectator sport. We do not sit in an easy chair and watch Jesus do his thing and then take the heaven ticket that he earned for us. That's actually not how grace works. Grace is when Jesus violently yanks us into the life of God through the journey of death and resurrection and yanks us into his own work, his own mission. If we're with Jesus, if we're in Jesus, then we are with all of him, his work, his mission too. We are not saved and then sent out, okay? We are, being saved means being caught up in ascending, just like Jesus was sent, and it's dangerous. It's, this is frightening. We got verse 25, if they've called the master of the house Beelzebul, literally Lord of the flies, a demonic power, if they've called Jesus that, how much more those of his household? As Jesus is taking us out into our kingdom work together, what he's saying is expect trouble. Expect to be called harsh and mean things because Jesus was. And a disciple's not above his teacher. And as we know, the name calling was just the tip of the iceberg of Jesus' suffering. Many of his disciples have gone with him all the way to the point of the darkest death, the martyrs. So, hence the fear problem that Jesus has to talk to us about. Being bound up with him is a fearful thing. So Jesus goes to work on it. Jesus, our fear must be dealt with if we're going to go on this journey together and being in Christ, right? But why, do, why does Jesus deal with our fear? Why does Jesus want to talk to us about it? It's actually kind of an interesting question we might not ask. Why, like, why does Jesus want to deal with the fear that we feel? Is it because it's a negative emotion and Jesus doesn't want us to feel a negative emotion? Maybe, but he's, he's got bigger things in store than that. He ultimately, he deals with our fear because our kingdom work depends on us dealing with it. If we're afraid of people, then, it's, then it will totally cripple the work that we've been given to do in God's vineyard. It's a normal human reaction to fear, right? What are the two things that humans do when they fear? Either fight or flight. So, we'll eat, so we might privately hide what we know and what we have experienced of the healing love and goodness of God. Flight. Or we'll create little enclaves 
or we'll defend ourselves from people out there with a shield of bitterness or even outright hatred. Okay? We've seen the church in our country fall into these traps. We are not called to fight or flight. We're called to love. And as Aubrey said a few weeks ago, frightened people are not good lovers. So Jesus deals with our fear, both for our sake and for the people we are called to love. Now I want to pause for just a moment. I want to pause for just a moment because we have to temper all this talk about suffering with the words that we heard from our New Testament reading in 1 Peter. 1 Peter 4.15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer. Okay? which we know includes even hating someone in your heart. Let no one suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a meddler. Let it, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. The church in the Western world, especially uh, America included, is taking a hit. But how much of that is our fault? Not all of it, but not none of it. There's a lot of hurt There is a lot that we have not gotten right over the generations. There are a lot of words and actions that have been taken out of this exact place of fear. There's been much bitterness coming from fear. There has been much failure to listen first because of fear. So there's much to repent of, and we have to own it. It's going to be messy moving forward but we must move forward in love. And that will involve repentance. That will involve humility. But love will also not allow us to hide and lick our wounds. Jesus is still about his father's business today and so must we be. So, for the sake of our kingdom mission, we must let Jesus deal with this fear problem in each of our hearts. Now, how does he do that here? How does Jesus deal with our fear? Okay, there are two ways. Two ways that Jesus deals with our fear here. The first is he reorients us to the truth. Okay, look at verse 26. So have no fear of them. Why? For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. In other words, though what the church teaches and what the church does may be maligned, in the end, it is going to be revealed what was right and wrong, okay? What looked like stubbornness or arrogance will be revealed for what it really was if it was truly out of Christian love. It'll be revealed as just a, as a determination to follow the Lord of life wherever he went. So Jesus is saying truth will triumph in the end. Christ will have the last word. His truth will be seen to be the secret operating force at the heart of the world, and will be vindicated. And he's giving that perspective to us again. It takes a steely gut and a good memory to keep this in mind when you're called a fool. So teenagers, when it seems like you are the only one that's a Christian in your school, and it seems like you are the only one that's taking any of this seriously, and you just look foolish, when you feel that sense of embarrassment, or any of us, when we feel that moment of hesitation before letting someone know that we're a Christian, or that moment of of hesitation or pause before sharing the story of Jesus with somebody, okay? We must have an inner compass 
that points towards the truth. We must have that inner compass in order to not get absorbed by the feelings of anxiety or fear or bitterness or embarrassment or loneliness and to remember what will stand true at the end of the day. To be authentic, not to the feelings of the moment, but to be authentic to what will ultimately be true and shown to be true. Authentic to the capital T truth, a who, not a what. Okay? And we can take heart. We can take heart because this reorienting to the truth does not come from like mental gymnastics. It actually comes from a deeply authentic place of communion with God. Jesus tells us in verse 27 that what he has whispered to us in the dark, in intimate communion with him, it is that that we proclaim in the light from the housetops. So listen, the power and the truth of the gospel is not based on human enthusiasm and bravery and human conviction. We are not out there trying to sell some slightly outdated product. We communicate to others boldly what Jesus has whispered to us in intimacy. The love story of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that has extended out to embrace his disciples. It is that that we turn and run out and we convey to the world the kiss of God that we have received. So have you heard the intimate whisper of love in your ear? Have you heard it lately? Have you taken the time? Because our mission depends on that. So first, Jesus deals with our fear problem by reorienting us to the truth. And then second, Jesus deals with our fear by redirecting it. Okay, beginning in verse 28. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Ultimately, the way to overcome fear of other people or the fear of social conventions, the fear that cripples our mission to love, ultimately the way to overcome that is to fear God. The fear of the Lord, that old principle right, that we find all over the pages of the Old Testament and the New Testament, by the way. In one breath, Jesus brings before our imagination these two pictures of God, the picture of God both as a fearful judge and as a tender father who cares even for little sparrows. And it is these two things that make up the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord involves holding both of these things together. When Jesus talks about the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell, okay, literally the word Gehenna, a physical place that was on the south side of Jerusalem, the opposite side of the city from the temple, the place of God's presence. What Jesus is doing there is he's bringing us face to face with a God who is utterly outside of our control and even our understanding. He is wholly other. We see this all throughout the Bible. Anytime someone comes in contact with the living God, it strikes terror. So Isaiah saying, woe is me for I'm lost when he sees the Lord. I'm a man of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, Yahweh of hosts. Or John in the book of Revelation, seeing Jesus in glory and falling on his face as though dead. 
or Daniel passing out during his vision of the mysterious man clothed in linen. Like these are the heroes of the Bible and they're all like passing out and coming apart at the sight of, at the sight of the living God. The Lord is just utterly beyond our comprehension. He is utterly beyond the capacity of what our five senses can take in. And yet, Jesus says, this same one, this one isn't just a terrifying God that's out there. He is your father right here. Even sparrows, which are worth almost nothing in the eyes of the world, two sold for a penny. Not one of them falls to the ground without your father. And notice what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say not one sparrow falls to the ground without your father's knowledge or without your father's will or without his permission. No, no sparrow falls to the ground without your father. Our comfort is not in a sovereign God, right? That knows everything. He's aware when things die. He, he ordained it, right? He gave his permission. Any good stoic believes that, right? That's a given if God is God. No, the Father is the one who falls to the earth with every sparrow. This is a deep mystery that God has given himself utterly to his creatures. Every little fall in creation he goes with. As one poet said, God goes belonging to every riven thing he's made. Um, how much time do I have? Uh, I love ducks. <laughs> I, can talk, I can talk about ducks for a long time. I... Um, this is going to connect. <laughs> I was leaving the church the other day, and I saw a, uh, a duck that had been run over. It was roadkill. It's not something you see very often. Ducks are usually smarter than that. You don't see duck uh, roadkill. There are a lot of ducks that live in downtown Harrisonburg, and they're my favorite animal. It actually made me really sad. It was this like, gro- grotesque scene, just this meaningless death. And now I know that the father fell with that duck. If that's true, then what about you and me? Won't every hair be numbered? And again, Jesus doesn't say God the Father knows how many hairs we have. It's not that God is, has this omnipotent knowledge. Of course he does. He's counted every hair. How do you count hairs without running your hand through someone's hair? It's so intimate. He's counted them. Why? Every single hair is numbered so that every single one of them can be recovered. He falls with every sparrow, with every hair on your head so that he can recover it all. So that you can know there is nothing you have lost. There's nothing you have suffered that the Father did not fall with. That the Father will not himself restore when the beauty of the kingdom is unveiled fully and finally for all the world to see. This is the kind of God that I want to worship. The one that if I saw him, I would melt in his presence. And yet the one that has numbered every hair on my head and that falls with every sparrow. So what we have to do now uh, is what the season of Lent offers us as a gift. A chance to take an honest look within. Where have you been living in fear? And why? Is it because God has become too small in your eyes? Too theoretical, too manageable, too therapeutic? He's, God is just too small, and so there's too much room to fear man. 
Or do we, do we fear those who can kill the body because the body is all that matters to us, our comfort, our commitment to live up and to the right no matter what, and we've neglected the soul, the core of you, the inner chamber of love where you can hear the whisper of communion with God. So we just don't have any energy to be on this journey. We don't have any awareness that we're even on this journey with Jesus. What is it for you? Look and see. Look and see and bring it before your Father. Come back to the fear of the Lord. It's the only type of fear. Fear is a given. This is the only type of fear that will free you and not enslave you. This fear is the beginning of wisdom. It is everlasting life. Let's pray together.